This is Crossover Commerce. Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm Ryan Kramer, and this is my podcast where I bring the best and brightest experts in the Amazon and e-commerce industry. This is episode 147 of this show that I've started over a year ago to bring people onto the show to level up their knowledge and understanding. If you're listening to this, you want to level up your understanding, right, of Amazon. There's always constant moving parts of logistics, compliance, uh, product listings, no matter what part of e-commerce you're really trying to dive into and figure out, this podcast is one for you. So that being said, before we dive into it with our special live guest today, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Now, Ping Pong Payments has actually helped sellers facilitate more than $150 million a day in cross-border payments. Now, to date, that means that's over $90 billion in cross-border payments. What does that mean? That's more money in your pocket in order to save and put that towards your margins. That's any time that you're paying your VAs, you're paying your suppliers and manufacturers, you're paying employees, or even just selling in multiple marketplaces, PingPong can help you save more of that money when it gets converted back to your local currency. Go ahead and check out PingPong payments today. You can go ahead and click on the link below in the show notes or in the comments section in order to understand uh, how you can save money today and why not save money, um, especially in a when prices are going up for logistics or containers or sourcing or shipping or anything like that, have more money go back to your bottom line today with Ping Pong Payments. It's free to sign up. Go ahead and check it out again today. And make sure you mention that Crossover Commerce sent you. That being said, the show is not just about me, as I always talk about. If you're new to the show, it's about my guests and what they bring to the table, uh, the virtual table, if you will, of what we are, what's going on in the day of the day life of Amazon, right? Um, right now, we're it's uh, September, let's check it out, September, or excuse me, August 30th. I already want to jump in September. So we're in the back half of Q3, starting to prep Q4. That being said, brands need to start prepping for Q4 like every other year, but this year, expecting that there will be some additional chaos in the system. What does that mean? Well, I have the guest for you. Um, his name is Chris McCabe of e-commerce Chris, formerly worked with Amazon and seller account, uh, his he works as a seller account consultancy. Him and his team have actually used to work for Amazon with Amazon, so they know the inner workings of what's going on there. But now helping brands kind of muddle, go through all the nuances of why they got suspended, what's the problem with their account, did they do anything wrong, how they can get it fixed quickly and effectively. Because as you may have heard, listener, always on the show, time is money. And when you're not being able to sell on Amazon or in your e-commerce marketplace, you are losing money. So that being said, we're going to be talking about today's topic, quickly resolving brand issues in Q4. Time is money. Money is uh, currency, what we always like to say. That being said, let's go ahead and jump in and welcome on Chris McCabe of e-commerce. Chris, Chris, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, before we get started, I just wanted to kind of say, you're joining, I love it when people uh, tell us kind of their background, where they're coming mm -hmm. from. It's, it's kind of the easy, soft introduction of like, if people don't know who you are, it kind of gets you warmed up who they are. So for the listener out there who may not have heard of you, which they should have, but for the for the few <laughs> who are under the rock and oh, I'm not are listening to this, yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but hey, you, you've been a, you, you're a uh, you're speaker at major Amazon conferences. You uh, you have a great core group of like, ed, uh, let's say students, but also you're just putting out a lot of great content out there and Thank thought you. leadership, but you used to work for Amazon. Now kind of like, what, what's that story of you and where you got to today? Like why step away from it? Why, why are you doing things on your own? Let, let's get the story of you. Yeah. Quick version on my background at Amazon was that I was on these 
commonly known as seller performance teams, uh, performance evaluation, policy enforcement, listing takedowns, um, suspending accounts as necessary, adjudicating appeals as they came in, um, the entire kind of ecosystem of how you regulate which sellers can play and which ones need a timeout. Um, me and the team I worked on, we were responsible for that. It was kind of growing in those days, but nothing compared to the size of it now. Uh, so now as a consultant on the other side of the fence, helping sellers understand why Amazon communicates the way they do, which is often vaguely or poorly, uh, and also helping sellers up their game to communicate as best as they possibly can with Amazon, because in terms of appeal strategy, that can make or break you, right? Whether or not you're reading what they ask you to give them and then giving them what they want, but giving it in a way that'll make sense, you know, for their needs to help them accept an appeal and reinstate. So it's right. a lot, lot nicer on this side of the fence. It's uh, better to be a seller advocate than it is to sort of be among the, you know, drones at, at Amazon seller performance, just kind of cranking out these investigations without sometimes without rhyme or reason or without even understanding, I think, after a while, what they're doing and why they're doing it. So I'm, I'm out there to help people uh, who sell on Amazon understand that that thinking. Right. So you stepped away what year to, to kind of do this in 2012? Okay. Yeah. So this is in, in the essence of the Amazon world, this is a while ago. So it's mm -hmm. it's really understanding. Were you ever a seller yourself or are you, are you currently? I wasn't a seller. No? Uh, okay. Basically, I took a year off after leaving Amazon and then started consulting in 2014. So I've actually been doing this seven years, which is longer than I worked at Amazon. Um, because I, I mean, again, the short version, I knew that things were trending downhill on those teams. I saw the messaging getting murkier. I saw investigation quality getting poorer. Uh, quite honestly, I saw uh, manager level decisions that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I, I kind of had to pull the parachute cord and get out of there, um, right. do something else with my life, but make my contribution to, to Amazon selling a little bit more meaningful than what I was doing for them because... Um, and, and time has proven me correct in terms of I, I definitely left at a good time because they did trend downward fairly steeply in the, in the coming years. Um, auditing of investigation quality, the messaging itself, like I said, poor communication and other, other factors of your business relationship with Amazon. I don't think any of it's really improved in the years since. So fortunately, I've been able to stay current with all this stuff. I mean, the account health services team didn't exist until a couple of years ago. Um, right. So yeah, I was going to say know that so team backwards and forwards. Right. So it's like, right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say for the accounts health services, like department, like there's mm -hmm. so many, as everyone knows and listener knows this, there's so many different like little bubbles within inside yeah. Amazon's ecosystem. You were in charge of looking at, obviously if there's something wrong, you were selling something essentially that was either illegal or not appropriate for the marketplace, mm -hmm. or they were effectively trying to game the system. Is that like a fair assumptive way to kind of yeah. position that department? Primarily beginning with them, I was kind of fraud investigator, fraud prevention team. Right. Um, we wore many, many hats. They've, they've since divided things up into different squads. Um, back in those days, it was more like I mean, globally, even dozens of us total. I mean, maybe it got into the hundreds and over the years that I worked at Amazon, but at least the Seattle-based teams, there were a few dozen of us looking at this stuff. So we had to kind of do a little bit of everything on the seller side, not, not buyer fraud or buyer facing. Um, but there were seller fraud cases where we had to sign people out of their accounts, kick them off the site, not answer them, you know, just bad players, bad actors, get rid of them. Um, right. 
Because they're going against terms of services. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there were a lot of things I didn't know about Amazon itself, but until I worked there, um, I knew about fraud investigation. I knew about e-commerce fraud and online fraud and so forth. But um, I learned a lot about Amazon just that was specific to Amazon, things that wouldn't necessarily apply to other marketplaces, which made it why I became mostly, even though I'm e-commerce Chris and that's my company and my site, um, my original plan was to do all kinds of e-commerce consulting. Right. Um, I didn't realize so much that once I updated my profile on LinkedIn and sort of hung the shingle, made myself available, that it would just be all Amazon sellers all the time contacting me. Well, I was going to say, is that is that still the dream or is that kind of like, oh, you, you're first, what you said 2012. <laughs> yeah, the dream, the dream of like getting away from Amazon, but uh, that's where a yeah, lot of people I mean, got onto it. My broader business interests, I mean, in terms of this particular consulting firm, perhaps this will be Amazon all the way. Right. Uh, but other other projects I'm involved with that involve e-commerce entrepreneurs, other kinds of content that aren't necessarily Amazon specific, um, those business interests are very much alive and I'm pursuing those. As time allows, the Amazon consulting is a 24-7 business. Um, fortunately, I've been able to you know, add some wonderful people around me, so it's not the one-man show I was in 2014, um, but the e-commerce my interest in e-commerce have changed over time and have actually become not just bigger, but better, you know, not just focused on like, Hey, how do you sell on the world's biggest online platform? I mean, I've, right. I've met a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm sure you've interviewed many and you've talked to a lot of sellers who strike you as very smart, <laughs> very interesting people. Um, not just business owners making money, but people who have a good concept of what a brand should be out in the world, you know, not just on Amazon. Exactly. I, I think that's a bigger question that I always love to hear what people have to say. It's not just Amazon is such a big component of not just consumer life, but as entrepreneur life. If you are with a business, ever everyone's trying to figure out how do I get my products or services onto Amazon, but then also how do I get off of Amazon too? So that's like, there, there's two ways to come at it. Both people are starting natively, but how do I diversify to be yeah. omni-channel um, in retail? How do I become a natural brand versus brands quote unquote are trying to become now more omni-channel selling to where the eyeballs are and there, there's so many different ways to come at it so i 100 agree with you so so you're with amazon why, i mean just, yeah, just to plug the conference on september 23rd i mean that's where the idea for that came from get right. all these get all these brand experts together they're not all necessarily amazon brand experts it's an amazon brand conference because obviously i work with amazon brands um but Really, it's about just running a good business omnichannel all over the place, as many places that you can, Amazon included, uh, because that's what my personal interests are at this point, not just launch a brand on Amazon, have an Amazon, you know, hostage to the Amazon experience, because there's so much more out there in retail. The future of retail will be Amazon, but it will be selling in other marketplaces as well. Well, yeah, you alluded to it and I have just a quick, like people say, what's the conference? Mm -hmm. Just a quick, like little, uh, yep. probably presented by September 23rd. We'll, we'll touch on this a little bit, mm -hmm. but the seller velocity conference, of course, was what we're, uh, talking about and alluding to. So we'll make sure we have information on that as well. If you're listening to this, you can check it out on the show notes for a link to obviously sign up, but, um, yeah. kind of going back to our discount code. Remind me if I don't drop that on you, but well, I have it already, man. You've you, already got like, it. So. I'm already prepped and ready to go. We're, we're this yeah. is uh, lined up, but for awesome. the major topic that we're, yeah, we were, we were kind of 
wanted to discuss, Sarah, you, mm-hmm. you, you're seeing this with lots of sellers, quickly resolving brand issues in Q4. Yeah. Now, brand issues can have multiple different things. You've alluded to that. It's it's anything from uh, your account gets, uh, your ASIN gets suspended. Um, you have your account shut down for an, a number of reasons. There can be uh, hijackers. There can be lots of different things attacking you, whether mm-hmm. it be from Amazon or from outside competition. So set the table for me, Chris. What is a day-to-day life in in the ecosystem that you're dealing with? What are, what are the problems you're solving? And then um, can this happen to anyone? Like, well, mm-hmm. what, what's the what's this ecosystem look like that you're in day-to-day with people? Yeah, unfortunately, it can happen to anyone. Even strong, long-lasting, successful brands um, are surprised sometimes that they get a random call from Account Health that says they have 72 hours to write a plan of action. You know, who, what, why? Uh, because they had a couple listing takedowns. Maybe they were even in the process of working that out and appealing them, but they hadn't done it quickly enough or their risk score went up a little bit. Um, their account health dash suddenly says they're at risk and they're like, how did we get here? We're, we've been selling for years. We've never been suspended. Those are scary, especially in Q4 where the revenue numbers are higher. Uh, those are scary because those threaten an, an entire account shutdown. So of course we help people appeal whenever their account is fully shut down and they're not selling anything, let alone their top ASINs. Um, that's a potential business ending event. So, um, there's a so why we're the, we're the best at that. We've been you know working on these for years, but. So if I'm a seller and I haven't had that happen to me, how do I get notified? Is this email? Is this a call? Is this like a, a pop-up on your, on your sidebar? Is this in seller central? Seller how central. am I getting notified? Okay. Yeah. Seller central says your account's been deactivated. That's if it's already happened. Mm-hmm. A lot of sellers these days get a call or at least see a message in their performance notifications. If they miss the call from account health that says right. you're essentially says you're about to be suspended. You have to send a plan of action to prevent that suspension. And they give you a 72 hour window. Um, a couple of years ago, when they started rolling this out, it was a bit haphazard. Sometimes they told you you had a week, sometimes three days, sometimes 24 hours. There were all sorts of random messages. We all know Amazon loves to mix and match these things, sometimes send you the wrong thing. But it's streamlined over the years to be like, look, you've got three days. I usually hear from people, they haven't been suspended yet. They had some listing suspensions that they either appealed and were rejected, which is one reason that's our main focus today, right? Resolving ASIN level problems, whatever they might be as they come in, or they just ignored them. They were too busy. They didn't think they constituted a threat. They, they didn't think it was an ASIN that they cared that much about, whatever it might be. Maybe they were going out of stock and they didn't think it was that big of a deal. Uh, as the years go by, I think there are fewer sellers that sort of shrug that stuff off and think, ah, no big deal. Amazon's not gonna take me down. I, I sold 40 million last year. I think now we realize sellers of any size, brands with any degree of past success, could be under threat. And then if they call you, then you already know that the clock's ticking. Like there's no ambiguity at that point. But my main, long story short, my main communication lately for people heading into Q4 is deal with these performance notifications quickly. Yes, but not hastily with some smart strategy. Um, right. Because if you keep getting declined, they are less likely to respond to you or they just see that you're sending the same thing in over and over uh, and they wonder why you're not amending your appeal. They wonder why you're not giving them content that has anything to do with why they suspended your ASIN and they start losing interest in dealing with you. And that means those problems fester until you start getting that, you know, account level manual review that everyone dreads because an investigator looking at your whole account based on multiple ASINs with 
policy violations, buyer complaints, whatever, um, that investigator is motivated to take an action on your account at that point. They're already spending their time looking at that problem. So what right. is their motivation, do you think? Is it their motivation to look at your account quickly and make a couple notes, pass you and walk away? Or is it to show like a, a result of that work? So. Right. Well, there's a lots of things to dive into. So obviously this is something that's like Amazon is they're they're essentially skimming your account, right? And they, it comes across as something is not in correct place, whether it be, you know, this is a lot of the time is it Amazon, like they just like happen to like randomly check in or is it more of like it's on the seller, they did something wrong, whether it be it's in their account somewhere it's or both. something is out of line. Okay. It's both. So, um, I like how you mentioned competitor abuse and listing hijacking and stuff like that, because that's an important part of this conversation. A lot of people do get flagged because somebody reports them for what could appear to be minor listing violations. I mean, I think brands make a lot of listing mistakes when they're trying to optimize these days or they mm -hmm. hire like a firm that does their optimization and doesn't know the rules and doesn't comply with the policies. And they don't know that they're making those mistakes. So it might seem like a minor infraction, but if you've got the same listing error, let's just stick with listing violations for a moment. And they've already sent you a warning in the past and you kind of blew it off or you kind of think you took care of it, but didn't. Um, or you've got the same listing violation on multiple ASINs. Well, that gives your competitor multiple opportunities to report you. And you can't just respond and say, well, we think this is just a competitor trying to get us taken down. If it's a valid complaint, about a very real policy violation, it kind of doesn't matter who complained. Mm -hmm. Amazon's still kind of on the hook for enforcement. Um, and, and even if the person who's reporting you has violations themselves, that's kind of stupid on their part to do that because they're drawing attention to themselves, but it doesn't change the fact that you're guilty of something and you have to account for it. And if you get a warning and you just sort of take the warning email and flip it over to the employee or the third party service or whoever your, mm -hmm. your account manager, let's say at Amazon and say, well, we got this and we don't know what it is and we don't know what to do with it. It kind of goes there to die, right? Nothing really happens when you do that. Um, those are things you really have to take seriously because you never know when a minor infraction will be treated as a major infraction really overnight without Amazon standing up and waving at you saying, Hey, by the way, those li listing violations, those petty warnings we're sending you, uh, we've decided those are a big deal and we're getting thousands of them every day. So we're going to start shutting people down for that. So, so what's a, what yeah. a brand surprise when they, well, when I was going to say, so as a, yeah, as a brand, so that's a great point. What, yeah. as a brand, um, what, what would I expect? Like what would a competitor potentially come to me and say, or a code to Amazon say, I'm going to complain about this, like teacher, teacher, this person is doing X, Y, Z. What is that? What is that X, Y, Z in most cases? Right. And I, and I'm leaving out of this part of the conversation, like somebody who's obviously leaving you fake reviews or buying from you and bashing you with fake buyer complaints about fake product or unsafe product. Like we, we know that happens. Mm -hmm. Leaving that aside for now, let's just say you're guilty of a few things. Style guide violations in 2021 okay. have been taken way more seriously than they ever were before. People using all caps in their listing, for example, um, there's also title and listing. Yeah, exactly. Title wording and the title, it doesn't belong there. Keyword stuffing. Yeah. Uh, keyword stuffing. There's, there's image violations that I still see that I can't understand. I, I assume people just don't read the image policies or they, again, they hire somebody who doesn't know the image policies. Um, basic stuff like that, where you would assume, I think the basic problem that brands, uh, reason that they get caught and the problem is 
they assume that because they see other people doing something, it means it's okay. It means mm -hmm. that it's allowed. Like, I don't have to read the policy pages. Nine of my competitors are doing all these things I'm doing. Enforcement is extremely selective. It, it's also very unfair because it's selective, right? And it's extremely inconsistent. Maybe out of those nine sellers, you're the only one who, who was reported for that violation. And it might not even be a seller, like a competitor that reported you. It might be a buyer who said, I hate this. It's all caps. I hate it. This is terrible. Visually bad buyer experience. I mean, it could be a real buyer doing that. Sometimes these are real buyers complaining that, that, that they see your style guide violations and they don't like looking at your detail page. Right. Because um, ultimately Amazon's going to side with the customer and the consumer yeah. more often than not. That's what, that's what they, they tend to, you know, award, I, sh I should say, they put a lot of gusto behind. If someone says something negatively, there should be an investigation, whether it's the seller's fault or not. Uh, you said hijacking, and I, I've yeah. never understood the full concept. How can, in theory, how can a competitor hijack a listing? If, I, if I'm a listener out there, it's like, I, everything's secure. I have my passwords are all secure. How can someone either, quote unquote, break into Amazon, mm -hmm. go under the back end, and all these bad things about it without anyone detecting it. Is Back that end abuse? Um, okay. And it's a little bit of a complicated conversation. I define hijacking as somebody gets into your detail page and starts changing it against your will, even if you're in brand registry. And that's because that's they possible. hack. That's because they hack your account information, whether it's username, password, whatever it is. They mess correct. with your async contributions. They they can also just get your listing suspended if they put illicit backend keywords. If they overwrite your async contributions. Mm -hmm. They mess with your content. Your flat file had vacancies and, and fields with nothing in them. They can insert uh, a word in there that will attract the bots and get, get automated tools uh, going to remove that listing. And then people have to appeal for reinstatement. This is kind of a hybrid service, hybrid appeal that we have started doing over the last two years because abuse is rampant and going up. A lot of people didn't understand that their backend keywords could be abused so easily or their A plus content. Um, there's, there's several ways that can happen. Um, is that an Amazon issue or is that a, is that a seller issue? Amazon like... not closing loopholes in their tools. And gotcha. there's this concept of brand exclusivity or some people call it brand priority, which is a theoretical program. I heard it exists. I heard this from Amazonians, but you can't apply for it. You can't be offered it. There's a program that exists that would help you protect your brand and protect your listings from this kind of abuse that they haven't made widely available. So actually every podcast I've gone on, whether it's, you know, talking about the seller velocity conference or not, I've been telling people, Hey, go to your, go to your account manager, go to, if you have a relationship with the category manager, you've been in that category for years, ask them about this, mention this because the registry doesn't protect you from this. Somebody can overwrite your flat files, sync up to Amazon's API, overwrite your content. Um, if you're not, Oh, you know, reloading, uh, syncing up to their API every 20 minutes, 30 minutes, somebody else can leapfrog you like that. Right. Would, would that be would that scandal, give, but it's been going on for years. So I think it's a known concept now. And yeah. Should that give sellers a pause when working with like tools or any sort of SaaS company that whether it be access to MWS um, or any sort of like uh, your personal that's tied to your account, mm -hmm. having access to that, should that give sellers now more pause of how is that staying? How am I still staying protected? Yeah, against potential abuse. Generally speaking, best practices are, are conversation you have, want to have with any third-party service provider, myself included, in terms of working with you on uh, 
up listing uploads, um, the appeals process. People can make mistakes that that are very damaging very quickly and not know that they're doing it. That's what that's what concerns me the most is how many brands come to us saying, "Well, first I hired somebody who kind of didn't know what they're doing. I need you to dig me out of that before we even start on having you fix it." You know, or I'm the one telling them there's a lot of damage to undo before I even start writing your appeal. You know, some people call us saying, "I want you to write an email to Jeff for me." You know, Amazon's ignoring me. Well, yeah, no problem. I'm right keep, on that. They keep denying us. And, you know, I have the conversation with them, which directs them to account health. Okay, talk to account health. Why was your appeal denied? We start with that, knowing that account health might not have info or might give you conflicting answers. I mean, that's just the nature of that team. But the other side of it is on the seller side. Like before you jump the gun, figure out like, I did this myself and I'm not sure what I did. Get a damage assessment, get a, get a risk assessment. Or... If you have a third-party service doing stuff for you, analyze and assess what, they, what they've done up to that point that got you into this situation, and then either decide with them how they're going to fix it for you and undo the problem. If they don't know, if their area of expertise is just doing things, not undoing things, <laughs> or not fixing things that they break, then you probably have to talk to somebody like me about at least about next steps, even if you don't really hire us to do it. Um, best practices that's that's something we're going to be talking about at the conference because i think a lot of sellers don't have sops that are ironclad um that they've tested kind of battle tested for will this work in a pinch will we be, will we be able to troubleshoot something using these standard operating procedures or are we going to be floundering around and scrambling and just uh calling a bunch of people and googling st stuff and asking for help right, right. Now. that would that would be worst case scenario because you're giving a time frame right your email i get this email 24 hours uh 72 hours you don't have a lot of time to educate yourself yeah. it, it's it's even for you if i'm reaching out to you chris and i'm listening and i'm like i just got this yesterday yeah. i need your help as soon as possible you don't have you don't have the capabilities to just drop everything and just like all right i'm on it like let, let's mm -hmm. assess everything let's review everything you almost have to be proactive in the nature before reactive and if they're giving you such a time frame, I know that's I know that's not something that any sort of like helper that can yeah. you know help fix things in in that box. And that's so that's what's so scary. But also, we're here to educate the listener mm -hmm. to say like, listen, you need to be proactive about this instead of reactive because time is coming where you see more bad actors. And again, this is not tied to any sport marketplace. This is right, just right. in general. This is hopefully a lot more good than bad. But if it happens to you, which you've seen firsthand mm -hmm. around times of the year where this is most damaging, whether it be a competitor or just a person who has it out for you for one reason or another, you can get attacked in the most inopportune time where sales are the most, uh, when your listings are doing the best and all of a sudden shut down. There's no, there's no income. There's nothing happening. You've done everything right. But yeah. then this is something that they have to turn around and, and fix. So, how, how easy is it to get reinstated ultimately? If I get this, is it easy to do? Does it, is it pretty involved? What, what, what's that it, look like? As this quarter continues, it'll be harder because Amazon takes longer to review things, longer to respond. They'll be transferring things around. It might eventually be handled properly. I've seen a lot of sellers also don't know how to sort of agitate for a response or request an update. They either sit at home waiting or they keep calling account health and account health says wait more and then they're stuck again or they go the other way and they're like, I need to write to Jeff. I need to escalate this. I need to go to executive seller relations today. 
um, it can't be an all or nothing game. You can't be 100% black or white with this stuff. You have to understand the nuances of strategy uh, because not everything needs to be escalated. Some things really need to be escalated and you shouldn't just be opening up seller support cases or emailing seller performance or just waiting. Um, and knowing the difference is crucial in Q4 because yes, people, people like competitors that know how to game the system are going to want to hit you at the most lucrative time, like Black right. Friday, Cyber Monday. But honestly, that's just how it started in like 2017. We started hearing from people Thanksgiving night, you know, ahead of Black Friday uh, because they wanted to hit them around Black Friday or Cyber Monday, but not too soon. So they wouldn't come at you at Tuesday, Monday. They'd wait till Wednesday night, Thursday, whatever. Um, right. But now like the whole month of November is like Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And they know how backed up Amazon is. They know the confusion and chaos inside some of these teams in terms of transferring things inappropriately. Tickets are cut, assigned to somebody. They're left to rot. Nobody looks at it for weeks. Black hats know that stuff. They've been 2018, 2019, 2020. They've been, they've been doing this every Q4. So they know how to get better for, for lack of a term, they get better. They're getting better. And then sometimes, unfortunately they get, you know, leaked info about like what the changes are from year to year. Some stuff leaks out from inside the company in inappropriate ways. And black hats tend to know what that is and scoop that up and integrate that into their fraud strategy. That means you have to be prepared. I mean, you can point the finger at Amazon and say, why aren't you ready for fraudsters who are adapting and changing their tactics and, Amazon would say, yeah, we adapt with them. I mean, they've got a ready pad answer, but they might be slow or they might not know it as well as you do because you're the one getting attacked and you're seeing what's happening to your listings. So, I mean, I'm telling people, be ready now. Form your plan now before it's October, November, December. Even write some copy and put it in a template that you start adding to little bits of info to over time just on your top selling ASINs. Just in a hypothetical, you're attacked right. and you know it's a good exercise to go through. You could even just as an exercise just for the future, forget about Q4, for the future of your Amazon business, back-end keyword abuse. You know, start punching some of those phrases into an appeal. Hey, we've been attacked. We've reported it. Amazon didn't do anything. I mean, this would be under the assumption that they're taking forever to act or they just disregard it with a quick copy and paste canned email, which they often do now. Um, you are ready to come back with, I'm going to be denied. I know I'll be denied. I was denied the other three times. The fourth time I'll be sent some generic email that says they're not going to help me with this. I've already got an escalation in the can. All I have to do is modify it, plug in some ASINs. I'm not encouraging people to use templates, to overuse templates with generic content because they're giving you generic, you send generic templates back, two sides talking past each other. I'm never going to say that, but have something ready to be modified with custom content that can make all the difference in the world. And that's why we work with people who get reinstated sooner because the person at Amazon on the other side, whether it's manager level or even VP level for some escalations, that person knows that you've given them data and facts in a unique custom email that they can use to reinstate you, that they can use to investigate it or to delegate it to one of their you know, senior crew. And they know that you've given them actionable info. You're not just spouting off or giving them general We've been attacked again, you know. Right. So in theory, like if best case scenario, you can get reinstated, what, day of? Or what's like best case I mean, scenario? Varies every year, right. like you said, every yeah day of or some. Um, I would say most sellers can't expect to get reinstated within 24 hours. Um, okay. Some of them, with the way our rates and our pricing works is, we, you know, for priority work, for immediate work, 
especially in Q4, we have a higher fee for that. We sure. do have some brands, they're, they're large brands, they're losing tens of thousands of dollars a day on one product. So some of them are- So like, it's worth it. I yeah, so it's worth it. As, like, don't even like tell me your different rates. I need you to start as soon as possible. Give yeah, me that bill money. me later. <laughs> right. I mean, you still don't want to double up too much in terms of, well, we're going to take the next 60 minutes and just shotgun blast, spam everyone we can with the same message. No, you need to send different appeals and different content depending on the audience. That's another big mistake brands make. They write one letter to Jeff and then they copy and paste it and send it everywhere, you know? Right. without really modifying it, depending on who you found on LinkedIn, what email address of, you know, somebody that you, that you heard about from your account manager, whatever, they don't understand. That's not how it works. You'll just have it thrown away. Like they'll see that you sent this message to everyone under the sun. They won't take it seriously. And they probably won't like it for other reasons. They'll think that your factual info isn't actionable enough. So um, you're, yeah, you're saying that there's actually cadences and SOPs to a point where you actually have to say, start here escalated up depending on if this if infraction quote unquote xyz happens you need to start here and then appropriate amount of time you can follow up there's all these different ways if you hear back then this is what you do like it's almost like a a web of what what's next and do you handle all that for most sellers or is this kind of like a coaching through it all or what's kind of we have a one hour slot and you can rent you know rent me for an hour one hour appointment on my calendar um we try to decide based on the initial information you know, don't bother with the one hour. This is something you need to hire us for, especially for abuse and attacks. A lot of people don't know how to interpret, you know, is this a glitch? Is Amazon just doing something weird? Is it technical? Am I being attacked? So stuff like that, we usually say you should have us handle it just because we've done it so many times and done it the right way. Um, For ASIN level appeals, there are brands that we work with who have been around the block a number of times. They've done this before. They show me a, either a past appeal that they've modified or they wrote something today and they show it to me and I'm like, you know what? With some minor tweaks, this can go in. You don't need to hire us. At least take one shot at it yourself because you understand the problem. And, and when I'm reading it, I try to think like if I'm upper level management or if I'm VP level at Amazon, am I going to accept this from this seller? I try to just put myself into the you know Amazon boots again and, and imagine that I'm reviewing it what, is it something I would delegate to a senior investigator? Is it something I would and have them review it and say, it looks like there's enough here. There's a lot of info. I no time to do it myself. You do it. Would I look at it myself and make my own executive decision? Like this is ready to be reinstated. Obviously it's a false positive or a mistake. And then I delegate it to somebody to actually go in and do the reinstatement. If it doesn't pass that test, I usually say, have us write it for you and hire right. us to do it or book an hour and I'll lead you through why this isn't an acceptable appeal. I mean, a lot of people don't have time. Like you said, sometimes my calendar is booked for the rest of the day. You're losing 10 grand a day. It's like, yeah, you don't necessarily want to book an hour on my calendar tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. So is Amazon getting better with understanding these appeals? Like they themselves, again, you said bots are scraping it for a listener out there who's, who's saying, I don't understand like how Amazon sees on a day-to-day basis they have the algorithm they have basically these tools that can go mm-hmm. across and they will like identify, you know, these red flags or not. Is Amazon doing a better job of understanding like, Hey, that was our bad or that you're right. Like, well, that's an easy fix problem solved X, Y, Z and, and go from there. Like, are they doing a better job or has it gotten worse or is there. The lower tier teams are not doing a better job. They're taking longer to respond and they're giving general nonsensical answers. 
when you get things executive level, they have a better understanding of abuse for sure. They've seen so many examples over the last two years now. They know what's going on with people manipulating tools, people taking shots at each other. In the old days, they didn't really understand that at all. Uh, I, I would meet some at Amazon conferences, like the old Boost conference. I remember uh, talking to a couple high-level executives that were like, well, we've built a process for this. You just have to follow the process. And I would say, no, you don't understand. We've already done that. We've escalated it. We've already gotten it to the person that I already know manages that team. All he did was kick it back down to some other investigator who said the same exact thing. They had no concept, no understanding of this in 2018. Um, they would hear about these things like rumors, but they would treat them as rumors. Now, 2020, 2021, they know from the last year, like this is real. People, competitors are pounding each other with fake product reviews. They're abusing each other's branded pages. Um, we've seen by the reaction of some of the escalations we've done, and we know we've, we've struck a nerve or we, we're drilling and we hit oil when the executive themselves writes to our client exactly. and says, I'm sorry, like they don't apologize necessarily, but they will, they will own it way more than they did before. So on the higher levels of the company and executive levels of the company, they are taking more ownership of broken process at the lower levels of seller performance. You're getting more of that kind of tinny automated feel where we will have our clients or sometimes we're on the call with them with account health and we'll say to the account health rep, what's annotated on this account? What are the denial notes? It's obvious this is a false positive. It's obvious this is a failure of an automated action. Mm -hmm. what, what do you have for us? And they'll just say, nothing's here. They're either not being truthful <laughs> or they don't know where to look and, and they literally don't see it or there really is nothing there because the investigator themselves didn't understand the situation. Well, so, to me, like when I hear when I hear you say that, though, Chris, I think that it, it doesn't make sense that Amazon wouldn't be more ingrained of what's going on on a seller by seller basis, right? Does that make sense, Lev? Yeah. If they're that canned and they don't understand their own customer, which inevitably is both a consumer but also a seller, right? Why wouldn't they be more involved and want to be more involved of the frustrations, the kind of complexities, and just this would help alleviate issues on both ends, whether it's yeah. fraudulent or just like just the perception of we're not here to support you. It's Amazon's not that they have so many teams, like you've said, to yeah. be more involved and just take on all this brunt and these issues. Why isn't it more like, let's work together on this and get this resolved because we don't want to have to deal with this. You don't have to deal with this. Just be more partners than like, oh, you're right. Like we screwed yeah. up or we effed up or something like that. Like, however you want to, you know, it doesn't make more sense. Like why wouldn't Amazon want to be more involved in that? They, they want to, um, I don't, I think they lack some motivation because there are other things they need to be doing. And this is always kind of on the back burner, but I'm also thinking they don't know how to fix some of these problems. They're such an octopus. They're so, so big, so many teams, um, teams don't really communicate with each other well, so they can't really communicate with sellers better than they communicate with each other, sometimes things are transferred because they don't know which team owns something. So stuff is left to rot sometimes because it's just sitting with the wrong team. And we find out later, three weeks later, two weeks later, it was with the wrong team. You know, sometimes, I mean, brand registry doesn't do what it was supposed to do, isn't as effective nearly as it was a couple of years ago. Um, sometimes things should be handled by brand registry, but they've kind of morphed that into a glorified 
seller support or customer service team where training isn't so great, auditing of mistakes probably non-existent or just not significant. Um, they don't know how to fix that stuff. So it is sort of strange that you have anecdotal escalations fix, fixing all these problems simply because it was surfaced in a well-communicated, detailed way to a higher level management employee. That's not scalable either. What if everybody did that? You know, that's definitely not, I mean, unless a senior VP suddenly has a hundred direct reports instead of 12 or 24 or 50 or whatever. I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of a, a stopgap solution, but there doesn't seem to be a cohesive strategy. I mean, Andy Jassy is only two months in he, as the CEO, maybe there right. is a cohesive strategy that he's putting together now and it'll come out Q1, Q2, but I'm not depending on that. Um, if anything, we've seen more executives leaving or changing roles, mm -hmm. which means there's a fresh face, which means great. Maybe they've got some new solid ideas to implement. How long is that going to take? How, how, how many people have to bring that executive up to speed before they can implement those ideas or even test them to make sure they're good ideas? You know, it's true. There's you see this people, my personal theory and um, it's been hard to verify because I, personally know some people that have worked with Jassy. Sure. Um, my personal theory is that he's going to be borrowing uh, lieutenants and established peers from AWS who might not know some of this marketplace stuff. And he might put them in high profile, heavy impact roles, but they're going to have a learning curve. You know, um, right. how do we know the right managers and the right VPs are going to be working with that executive to get them up to speed before they pull the trigger on a major, major decision that's going to impact thousands of brands, tens of thousands of brands. I mean, that's kind of scary. We don't know what's going to happen. So it's more of an uncertainty, but you have to prepare for that. They're not necessarily going to warn you. Oh, Hey, by the way, I grabbed a guy I love from AWS. He's going to be in charge of this. Now it's going to take him six months to a year to figure out the right strategy and the right way to communicate it to brands and what's going to have a good impact versus a bad impact. They're not going to tell you that that's behind the scenes stuff. Exactly. You know? I'm not potentially, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say potentially the storm could get worse before it gets better. So in that context, yeah. As a, as a seller, or if I'm working with you, what are the? There's no foolproof plan to like prevent anything from happening to your right. account, right? You just got to be prepared as possible. What are those ways that maybe top tips that you would suggest or always go with your clients and say, listen, yeah. this is how you easily and most effectively protect yourself. It's almost like. You cut you right now the Swiss cheese strategy of like this might not be foolproof, but hey, yeah. if you have all these layers on top of each other, they they all work nicely, and you may not have ever run to a problem ever again. Or if you do, it's easily resolvable. What are those things? I mean, general suggestions, of course, due diligence, do a kind of quality control on your internal teams, whoever's operating your account. Uh, do due diligence on the services you hire, third-party services. Make sure things that they're doing are compliant with policy. Make sure they're not making listing errors. I mean, another things, thing we see is ASIN variations. I meant to mention this earlier. A lot of sellers, a lot of brands are still making mistakes with variations and they're not aware of it, right? They just see other people doing it. So stop that kind of thinking, incorporate that in your due diligence. And then in terms of specifics, yeah, make sure you're responding to performance notifications. Make sure when there are ASIN level investigations that you need to do either before Amazon flags them or if Amazon's flagged them with like a soft block, like a warning that hasn't resulted in a listing suspension, take that seriously. Don't assume the way I see a lot of brands that contact us saying, I think it's just a bot. 
I think it's just a glitch. I think it's just, you know, I heard there were all these false positive messages going out to all these brands. So you cast it aside and you don't take it seriously. Don't do that. <laughs> that could be indicative. Right. I mean, I will say at least to Ryan's listeners and in terms of ping pong clients and so forth, if you need me to do a quick two, three minute assessment of like, should I answer it or not? Should I take it seriously or not? Does it mean something or not? Throw it at me. I can probably do that very quickly for you. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You'll at least okay. know. I know it's confusing. Amazon gives you this appeal button and it's like, even if it's not blinking, you're kind of, your brain's making it blink while you're looking at it. Some people don't know if they should respond, not to respond. There's a little bit of investigative due diligence. Do that yourself before you either appeal or before you start, you know, deciding that there's nothing to be done about it because it could result in a listing suspension that costs you thousands and you're going to either on the phone with me or somebody like me backtrack to that day, September 1st, where you got the first notice and you're going to wonder why you didn't do something about it. So don't have that kind of regret. This is not the time of year for regrets. Right. And like you said, you, the more people, the more you ignore, the more they're going to opt into saying, you know what, let's yeah. take a little bit deeper dive into this. Not that you're doing anything wrong, but you right. don't want something to be tied up into internal reviews. It can get sticky. It could be something that mm-hmm. they shut down everything instead of one off. So it's, it's always important just to, you know, be more you know proactive than instead of reactive. And be humble, you know, maybe getting a step away from the Amazon jargon for a minute. I mean, humility is really important. Don't be like, I can solve anything. This is my business. I'm doing the appeal. You might not even be the best writer in your own company. You probably right. shouldn't do a written appeal that could make or break your Amazon business. I am ex-Amazon. There's tons of stuff about Amazon that I don't know. Uh, that humility is really important, right? Um, because if you start deciding that you know everything and you approach it that way and there's things you miss or you've got a blind spot, you end up paying for it later. And that's another right. reason why, again, we put together the Seller Velocity Conference. There are a bunch of brand experts or Amazon experts speaking this September 23rd here in Boston that know way more about their area of, of expertise than I do. And I know Chris, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you should be hosting my podcast, man, because you you naturally segued me into my next point. That's, kind of that's the learning your mind. Exactly. Well, except, exactly. Like I said, we we uh we we have great minds think alike, but to learn and to be more cognizant of continuing education, that's what yeah. this podcast is all about. To be aware of this has changed completely from a year ago when we were just talking about certain things like uh copyright infringements and imaging, uh you know, images being, uh, oh, yeah. you know, just all that, all that kind of stuff has always changed and it changes from market to market. So this is your opportunity that like, ex- and of course to me, trendy too. Right. Of course, exactly. if there's a big, bad story about fake reviews in the wall street journal, like a couple of weeks ago, guess what? A bunch of people get suspended for reviews abuse or something right. else. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's the thing is it's a, it's a responsive ecosystem, right? Where you see there's more, either lots of complaints about it. And then all of a sudden you see the swift acts come down, whether it be warranted or not, you always see response from other sort of outside call to actions, whether it's, uh, employees of Amazon or just, uh, tools being used or any of these kinds of things where Mm -hmm. you say, if more people, if the squeaky wheel indeed gets the grease, but it can cut off the actual like gear itself. Um, don't want to have to deal with it. It's just a pain and headache. So that being said, we were talking about this conference. This is something yeah. new and unique and uh, something we're putting, you're, we're partnering uh, ping pong and then your team, as well as a couple other great uh, service providers and thought leaders out there 
continuing education to kind of help with that going into Q3, Q4 processes. Mm-hmm. What was kind of that, that, how this came about? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we've done the Seller Velocity Conference before. This is our first one since 2019. We took last sure. year off for obvious reasons. But the one comment I've gotten from the most brands, the most sellers, the most agencies is the quality of our speaker lineup and the, the expertise that's already proven and that's very direct and honest and approachable, which is why I'm really hoping people come in person here in Boston. If you haven't been to Boston before, it's a great city. I'm from here. Um, <laughs> this conference is in the seaport, which is kind of the Amazon land of Boston. It's become that way because Amazon's right across the street, renting office space like crazy. Look at that. Um, but the, uh, the, the seaport's a great place to have this because not only is Tika Metric space there, they're co-hosting, co-managing co, uh, this conference with us, but um, there's so many service providers that know what they're doing. I never sign off on somebody if I don't know that I've had several brands come back to me later and tell me like these guys help me and they're good. I don't just refer people saying, I think these are nice people and I think you should try them because I've got some sort of partnership or business relationship with them. That's not how I've ever done it. And after seven years, I'm pretty sure that's not how I'm ever going to do it because people like this, like I said, some of their areas of expertise, I will never have their degree of knowledge in that area. I might have a superficial knowledge. I might know enough to guide a seller in terms of where to start their decision-making in terms of who helps them. But I mean, those are things, those are services I'll probably never offer myself because I know that my expertise will never be as, um, as high as theirs. And so that's why we love grabbing and assembling all those wonderful minds in one place on a one day, all day conference and just give you a chance to interact with them, share your stories with them, but they also share, you know, their strategies with you to help you at times of the year like this. Absolutely. And to, and again, everyone who, again, this is uh, September 23rd. I know that's kind of blocked out if you're watching visually, but it's September 23rd in Boston Seaport, but it's also going to be, it, it's, it's a cool model because it's both in person. If you can make it, if you're in the New York, Boston, that general area, make the drive there for the day. Entire lineup is going to be there. Breakout sessions happen in person, but there's also a digital component where you can listen to these speakers, be there interactive and interact with the audience as well, which is of course, if you're across the country or for some reason you're just stuck at home mm-hmm. uh, or in a different country and you want to attend, all these different things apply to those natures, which is really cool about this conference. So in person. And we've always at, done the virtual actually from the beginning, the first year that right. we did it a few, year, a few years ago. You were ago. cool before it was a thing, right? I know, before you were trendy it was, before it trendy. <laughs> before the pandemic virtual conference became so omnipresent, we, were, uh, we had a lot of live streamers even a few years ago, um, and I'm glad we did that. Um, we're going to do that again this year. And it's going to be held at the Takeometrics offices. Yeah. Is that correct? Okay. So yeah, it's going to be in-person, a ca- uh, only a definitive amount of people can get in-person tickets. Mm-hmm. And I know it's kind of me up on the, the cap. I know, um, mm-hmm. from what we we've talked about, but if you can see and listen, or if you're listening to this and, uh, you're listening to this later, since this is an annual thing, uh, or a sponsor that if you're watching this now, it's uh, ping pong rocks and you get 10% off your, uh, your code. So it's definitely important to know that you can get access to this. You can watch the content later. Correct. Uh, if yeah. you can't catch all of it one day. Um, but also what are the, what are the things come with it? We have, so we also speakers. have an online yeah. platform called circle, right. um, cool. where you can interact. This is our kind of experiment this year. You can interact with, with, uh, other attendees, and thought leaders in the online platform circle pre-conference during the conference, of course, it'd be virtual and also post-conference. So it's not just like 
a bunch of people email you after the conference and say, hey, maybe I talked to you, maybe I didn't in Boston on the 23rd. Uh, how about we set up a time to talk? I mean, that's great. Email lists are fine, but uh, th this is a little bit different. And I think we're you know doing this in a big way in future conferences because it's great to give people an intro to speakers and their areas of expertise way before they show up here. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, that is uh, for a listener out there who's listening to us right now, sellervelocityconference.com. If you're looking to attend either virtual or in person, use the coupon code ping pong rocks to get 10% off your ticket price. Man, I sound like a voiceover uh, person. I should do that for a living. But uh, before we have to go, uh, you know, there's so much, there's so many different things that besides the conference you're doing, you're onboarding, you're growing as a team. You even have a new, po uh, have a podcast too. Just yes. kind of quickly wanted to touch on that. What, what's the podcast? Like what, where, where did that come from as a podcast host to a podcast host or co-host, I should say you were doing this yep. with a teammate. What, what was that? Where did that start from? And what's that kind of outlook on for that show? Um, yeah, so Solid Performance Solutions is the podcast that I co-host, co-manage with Leah McHugh. Leah and I are also uh, speakers at Solid Velocity, by the way. Uh, we've had a lot of good feedback on the podcast. I meant to begin it, I think it was January 2020 or February, um, at the beginning of the COVID crisis. Once that rolled in, there were so many brands selling so much who had so many listing issues and needed appeals help. I really had to put it on the shelf for 2020. I, I hated doing that because I had great content ready to go, great ideas, but we started January 2021. So we're in the whatever, seventh or eighth month of it. Um, we have guests like yourself uh, that we do Q&A with, um, but we also do some episodes where it's just Leah and myself. Most episodes are about 15, 16, 17 minutes. So it doesn't you know, soak up your entire day, but we focus <laughs> on one topic uh, in detail as opposed to right. just state of affairs or current events. Um, as time goes on, I'll probably be doing a, a few more videos that are like, hey, this cropped up today. This was reported in the news today. Little one or two minute things. But the podcast is meant to be a bit more in depth. Um, and we've had a great time doing it. So as soon as the conference comes and goes, we're going to be loading a lot of Q4 episodes. I'm looking forward to it. It's amazing. And uh, again, one of them I, will have you. <laughs> I, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I've been told. Like, I, I will be a guest on there. So I'm excited to load up on all my knowledge and on the show. We appreciate your support for the conference, by the way, if I didn't make that abundantly clear earlier. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Well, I, I always love, again, that's what this show is all about is education beyond what you, you've alluded to it, Chris, of you don't know everything yourself. You can only go to so deep as an individual if you're mm -hmm. not continuously educating on other topics or yep. surrounding yourself with other people in the space, you're not growing. So that's what events like this always speak to me is you can always take a lots of different small nuggets, apply them to your business actionably today, like in theory today, and then obviously growing and protecting yourself and just becoming a better business person, um, mm -hmm. you know, professional, even personal, lots of great People walk away with personal tips, how to, yeah. how to balance both time with uh, family and then profession. Uh, it's, it's such a tri tricky industry to be in. So stuff like this is always easy to support um, when it wants good content and uh, has a great audience too. Of course, uh, anytime we, we can support it, uh, let me know. But other than that, is, is there anything like going into the rest of Q4 that you really have your eye on, whether it's income, uh, you know, suspensions or anything like that? It's something that's, you just it's newsworthy or it's like flying under the radar that you really want to keep your eye on uh, it, it's before the turn newsworthy. of the year. Well, you know, we all heard about the aggregator stuff and brands talking about exit strategy. 
the part that seems to fly under the radar is that a lot of brands before they sell or when aggregators hire us for like pre-acquisition due diligence on risk assessment and so forth, a lot of brands don't understand they've got some cleanup to do in account health before they position themselves to sell uh, for two reasons. One, nobody wants to buy an account that might be about to get suspended. <laughs> that kind of <laughs> like bad. damper on Bad things. investment. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I'm not sure why I don't hear more about that out in this aggregator space and podcast land, but that's something that people should be talking about more. And, and not only that, it probably hurts your valuation as well. 100%. So there's kind of two huge reasons why you want to have impeccable account health like all the time. And for the brands that mentioned to me, you know, either in casual or professional conversations, like we're looking to sell this year, next year, whatever. Usually I go straight from that conversation to, well, what's going on with your account health? Well, we got a bunch of performance notifications. We haven't been able to resolve all summer. And, and you know, some of them have got us at risk. Well, let's fold that into the first conversation. Yeah. About uh, that's a, let's start there. Exactly. Like how, yeah, how are we going to have competitors? What if they, what if you've got a direct competitor with a similar product and the aggregator wants to go straight to them instead of you because their account health shows all zeros and yours has a bunch of crooked numbers, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a unique pers perspective on how to effectively exit a business. Again, playing, making sure your margins are uh, as, as airtight as you could possibly do it, uh, your relationships with suppliers, mm -hmm. manufacturers, you don't have weird crooked, like you said, crooked numbers on your books. Yeah. Um, and then making sure your account, again, it's a 12 to 16 month rolling calendar of if you had something creep up recently, um, it might've looked good six months ago, but now it might look not so great if someone's actively attacking you, yeah. if you didn't resolve that quick enough, or it's just sitting there as a, hey, we lost out on this great selling product because X, Y, Z. Well. That's going to throw up red flags on an initial, you know, due diligence, like you said, and yeah. it can effectively hurt your your exit strategy, whether you want to exit now or, like you said, a couple of years. So yeah, even that, if it's something good. a bit more, a bit less understood or a bit more nuanced, like, you know, I'm going to buy your brand. I'm looking in your seller central. I'm going through your performance notifications, and I see the same ASIN, which could be one of your top sellers, high revenue drivers, suspended over and over and over. If you tell me, well, we just kept getting attacked, so we kept appealing and it kept getting back up, I would think, well, what's to stop, you know, another suspension right after I buy your business? That top exactly. selling ASIN could vanish and Amazon could say, no, it wasn't an attack. It was something you were doing or it was a combination of bad things you were doing and you were getting attacked. It's still a risk, right? Those things can't be easily explained away. I would just think about that before you have the valuation conversation. <laughs> Man, all, all, all great conversations. I'm sure we could do as a roundtable of like, hey, why, why aren't people talking about this? So mm -hmm. in the future, I know that would be something, or maybe you're talking about at the conference. Maybe, maybe that's it's something. It's going to have. come up inevitably at yeah. the conference. I mean, it's not, it's a brand conference, which means that the aggregator topic will definitely arise. It's not an aggregator conference. We do have right. uh, Thrasio is sponsoring us as well. So sure. we do have an aggregator, of course, there. Um, but, uh, but they're also, you know, Boston based and we've known them for a while. So it's not absolutely anything. the aggregator well, conferences will be interesting. There'll be a lot of events and conferences, I think in 2022, once things calm down a little bit, those will be fascinating to me for brands. Absolutely. I think a lot, lots of great things stemming from Boston, not just, uh, not just those aggregators, but Ecom Chris, of course, you were the, you were the OG, the, the original oh, Amazon, you. <laughs> right? You, you established yourself in Boston based um, from there too. But again, mm -hmm. and for people who want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Is that on LinkedIn or is that just go directly to the website? What's 
the best way to do that. Yeah, I mean, e-commerce, Chris, is the website. Um, if you're curious about the conference, it's sellervelocityconference.com. Um, I'm going through all the messages we receive through the website myself, along with my staff every day. So, I mean, that's the best way to reach us, ecommercechris.com. We have a contact form there. Um, and yeah, if you do have plans to attend the conference, whether you're based in the Northeast or in, you know, the, the East coast or not, um, you know, you have a couple questions about it. Feel free to let me know. I've been answering all the questions about the format, uh, the, the all day event, how it's going to work. The agenda's on the website. So happy to answer any questions you might have. Absolutely. Check out the website first and then reach out to Chris. He never sleeps. It seems like uh, <laughs> always working for his clients. So we appreciate you taking some time to talk to our audience and then obviously to me, uh, about, you know, what to look for resolving issues in Q4. So hopefully nothing happens big, significant for the people who are listening out there. But again, mm -hmm. what I've learned is proactive proactivity is the best way to protect yourself. So, yeah. uh, thanks for, thanks kind for of having me. I shining love your, that light on. I love your pro education stance. This was educational for me as well. So thank you so much. Of course. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Again, uh, we'll, we'll catch you at the conference and again, check that out on the comments or shown us below. So thanks for hopping on today. Also, and everyone, again, if this was your first time or uh, if this is your 147th time on Crossover Commerce, we appreciate you chiming in today uh, for the questions that were answered or if you have them that later on, go ahead and put those in the comment section and tag Chris or myself and we'll make sure that one or the other will make sure that those get answered. This is a live interactive show. So next time, if you want to go ahead and be notified of when we go live on these platforms, again, LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube, you can actually go ahead and opt to and just subscribe to our channels. That's the easiest way to do that on Ping Pong Payments or um, follow us or follow me individually and you'll be notified of future episodes that we have. Again, so much great content going out, both video as well as audio versions as well. Um, you can subscribe to those on all your favorite podcast channels. I'm Ryan Kramer. We have a big packed uh, week of content I'm coming your way this week. We have so many great uh conversations around uh, different kinds of aggregators, as well as uh, people, product research, whatnot. This podcast covers a little bit of everything, but it's all in the notion of getting the best experts who have proven track records and the ability to help businesses grow on Amazon or in e-commerce in general, no matter what that topic might be. I'm Ron Kramer. This is my show. This is my corner of the internet, as I like to say. We hope to catch you guys next time on Customer